Hello, and welcome to the SourceCred Community Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Benton. I'm here with SourceCred founder Dandelion and contributor Pino, and today we're interviewing Michael Zargum, founder and CEO of Block Science and longtime SourceCred contributor. We had a really interesting conversation. I found out more about Michael's research contributions, how he influenced SourceCred's page rank algorithm, how SourceCred might affect the relationship between capital and labor, and whether he thinks we're giving him enough cred. I really enjoyed this conversation and hope you do too. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Uh, starting off, can you just tell us a bit about your background and how you found SourceCred? Uh, sure. So I'm actually um, a scientist who's been studying complex systems for over a decade, and I um, found my way to SourceCred actually by attending the blockchain conference at Stanford, where I met Dandelion. Nice. And how long ago was that? Um, I think it was only a little less than a year, maybe nine months ago. Okay. Yeah. I, I saw you did a lot of work uh, around that time doing uh, like research type stuff. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that work? Sure. So I um, after meeting Dandelion, I really dug into SourceCred to see sort of what was up with it. And I got really excited because I actually did quite a bit of work on PageRank algorithms as well as on sort of the role of algorithms and social systems in the past. And what I did was a little bit of work on the algorithms itself, deriving sort of how PageRank would fit into the framework of measuring something like reputation in a contribution network. And the two sort of main questions that I was working with was, what was the sensitivity of the algorithms to the parameters? Or how much could you sway their outcomes based on the degrees of freedom that we were giving the maintainers to pick things like the distribution, the way the distribution of cred would work? Um, I won't dig into the algorithms now, but there's some Medium article about it. And then also some research on the way the network formation game would evolve. So the, the contributions and the joining of the community resulting in a network, a graph, and the way that evolved over time, which related closely to the development of the time-weighted cred. And so I did some you know, further research on sort of the way cred would evolve in time as the underlying graph evolved and participated with Dandelion in the uh, some of the early updates to the algorithm from first its sort of Markov chain version to its um, full page rank version, which was done during the hackathon at Odyssey, and then um, tried, to yeah, tried to provide some support on the ongoing development of time-based cred. Okay, interesting. And for, for those listeners out there, time-based cred is actually what contributors to source cred are being paid based on now as part of the cred experiment. Uh, have you been following that? Do you, do you are you satisfied with the way PageRank is working right now? Um, I think the cred experiment is doing exactly what it needs to do, which is collect data. So I would say I, I, I reserve my opinion as an empiricist because I want to sort of look at the way that the theory and the practice come together. I'm very happy with the design, and um, I know we've had some discussions elsewhere about the sort of levels of trust that exist and um, the cred experiment and source cred as a community is in level one which means it's pretty much non-adversarial we're collaborating everyone who's involved has a sort of interest in seeing it succeed just because 
And I think it's perfect for that stage. I think we'll likely learn that some things need to change, but we can get there through this dog fooding process. Right, and level two is where it starts getting a little adversarial and we start having to get worried about attacks and stuff, right? Um, so like, uh, this kind of ties back, I think, into your work at Block Science a little bit, where you have this project CAD-CAD that simulates these network formation games and stuff. Uh, I don't know if I'm characterizing it right, but have you been looking at SourceCred through that lens as well? I have, in fact. There's an implementation of a network formation game in CAD-CAD that is stored in the SourceCred research repo, though I'll admit it's a bit dated. It probably doesn't run in the current version of CAD-CAD, so I may have to get back to that and clean it up. But from that lens, what you're starting to see is the interplay between the decisions on the part of the maintainers about how much cred to release, sort of where to release it, and how that kind of frames a game. And then at the same time, contributors would be, you know, drawn to the rewards in a way that we always expect people to sort of optimize their behavior in response to reward structures. But this is a dynamic game in the sense that the rules of the game aren't static. The, the maintainer role is um, in this group of people potentially in the future that would be steering are essentially making it so that what's being rewarded isn't static, which prevents some of the problems that arise with very static algorithmic rewards where you over tune to them. It's not that we don't want people to tune to these, um, these incentives, it's that we don't want the system to become fragile by over-optimizing for a fixed set of static incentives. So uh, I have done some, some exper experimentation there that was part of the um, network formation games research. And I think in the meantime, as I've done more work with CAD-CAD and continue to work with my team to improve that as a design and validation framework, we've um, really come and double down on some of the same ideas, which is if you don't have a, a secondary adaptive feedback loop, like the adjustments to how much cred and sort of how the cred is distributed, then it becomes fragile as the agents over-optimize for the rules that are currently in place. Right, definitely. I, I, I look at some of these other crypto projects, for instance, flowing a lot of money out to contributors and so some of it's just a total nightmare and, and like sort of unrecoverable. So I'm, I'm happy to have smart people like yourself kind of looking at this early on. Um, so in, in phase one, we, we, we've mainly been relying on Dandelion to be a benevolent dictator. Have you, have you detected any, any tyranny in their behavior? I have not detected any tyranny in their behavior, but I will acknowledge that that is a subjective notion. So one of the challenges that we run into here is that um, we don't have a sort of a priori absolute definition of what is fair. It's one of the reasons why the adaptive process is so important because it's inclusive in the sense that, at least for source cred, the idea is that the over time, the people making these decisions won't just be dandelion, they will have other contributors helping, participating, maybe even earning the role of um, maintainer or earning the role of steward. In particular, there's already a bit of a shift in that direction with the inclusion of the boosting mechanism. I guess it's not clear. I'm not quite sure when the implementation is or how the status, so maybe Dandelion can comment. But from the research side, the discussion has been around using grain as a means to highlight things that 
anyone thinks is important and thus already starting to participate in that steering role. Yeah, I want to chime in on a couple of these themes. Um, so I think that where source cred started was a lot closer to where a lot of other of uh, these like crypto or like social systems are kind of thinking, which is you have a system that's almost entirely pure algorithm or purely like algorithm and database. And then you have at a very high level, some like regulatory parameters being set by humans. So this is where like, you know, maybe almost the entire cred graph is being generated just from people's activity on GitHub and discourse. And then I, as the maintainer, I'm tweaking the alpha parameter or tweaking the weights in the nodes. Uh, but increasingly, I've been thinking that you really want to bring the human subjectivity uh, into the loop at like all stages of the game, not just as this outside force that occasionally tweaks the parameter. Uh, and what that means is moving to a cred graph where a lot more subjectivity is kind of being put in on like a like moment to moment or week to week basis. And that's things like the boosting mechanism that you just mentioned, Z, where any person in the project can look at a contribution and say, whoa, I think this contribution is really important. I'm going to like put some of my own reputation behind it and thereby increase its its cred and then also get some rewards uh, based on how much it's like valued by the community in the long term. Uh, and then moving lots of the graph over from being uh, just this purely data-based stuff to uh, actually having community input and creating important nodes in the graph, like saying, okay, we think that maintaining good build infrastructure, maintaining clear documentation is really important. So we're going to make a new node that represents documentation and connect it to all the work people have done writing tutorials or explaining concepts clearly. Uh, and I, I think as far as the role of the like dictator, I've, I've said a number of times I really want to phase out having a dictatorship, but it's a really convenient like hack to avoid having to formalize a lot of systems too early. Uh, but I kind of want to move to a role where it's more like, like I want to have an intermediate period where I'm like the Supreme Court in the sense that if, if people can't agree, if people like are really like in an intense conflict over what the value of something should be, then I will like make the, be the tie-breaking vote. Uh, but it's very far from like the model where I'm choosing the weight for every single node because I want to devolve that power to the community kind of as soon as possible. So I would also point out that one thing I really like about the evolution of source cred uh, is that we've moved towards what I would consider something more normative in certain ways. And, and, I, and I use this term as a positive in the sense that we're forming norms around the community. And that's actually a lot more it's resilient in a lot of ways because what you're doing is providing, you can observe what's happening, you can see what people are doing, you can have a discussion about what's being done and what's valued, but that ultimately in the model that you just described, what the community values can sort of come out rather than having the algorithm somehow define the community's goal because that becomes fragile again because if the algorithm moves away from, or the, what people want moves away from what the algorithm is demanding, you get sort of a breakdown. But here you've described a process that despite the fact that it's less enforced algorithmically is actually probably easier to engage with as people because you sort of know that if you establish a set of expectations with each other and build a community, that the algorithm isn't gonna somehow fight against that. Yeah, I think of PageRank as the tool that lets the community's value judgments scale. 
Uh, so if the community says we really value documentation, like we want everyone who works in documentation to get richly like appreciated and rewarded, it can be hard to operationalize that value judgment into all of the specific decisions of like how much to value this piece of documentation, how much to value that thing that like fixed existing documentation. And I think PageRank provides a pretty consistent framework for letting the value propagate out from those few cases where the community, it was like a big enough deal the community could get together and make a clear judgment and then use that to reward everything else in the project. So that's a great segue for me to talk about PageRank. So <laughs> I love PageRank is one of my favorite algorithms, not because of Google or any of this sort of um, magic internet searching stuff, but actually because it's this really powerful operator that helps you understand how something diffuses or spreads through a graph. And so uh, some of the work I did during my PhD included higher order um, at generalizations of PageRank, PageRank to applied to a variety of different um, applications, et cetera. But in the case of this type of system, what's so cool about it as a scaling tool is that what you're actually telling it is sort of where the credit should enter the system and how much it can spread. And so you have spreading factors uh, tied into this alpha parameter and you have this sort of magnitude that comes from how much cred to inject but not just how much to inject overall, but even where to inject it. So if you're valuing documentation, you can be injecting cred at a node in a graph that's representing documentation, and thus it means more cred will accumulate to documentation. And this spreading factor helps keep track of how much cred flows to things that enabled other things. So if we're valuing documentation and we're improving the cred injection at that point, but we don't turn up our um, spreading factor enough, then we might not actually get enough cred to the person who maybe made it possible to do better documentation. So this tool for this you know, general diffusion operator helps you actually capture a relatively low dimensional sort of human level information. This is important and things should spread this far into a, basically a set of parameters that you can manage as a community and talk about, but get this sort of scalable property that it I, you know, for all the, the uh, contributions, the, the computational system is essentially rolling that out for you. So you don't have to go through and tabulate carefully, um, you know, all of the exact cases where whatever, you, you kind of get the idea. So, uh, so Michael, I'm looking at the uh, lifetime cred distribution right now, and I see that you have 2.6%. I'm wondering how you feel about that. Uh, how you feel your con contributions have uh, spread in uh, through the graph. And also, uh, I know that we were talking earlier about you know, the problem of how to value sort of these larger researchy contributions, right, which aren't, you know, showing up always in GitHub and whatnot. Uh, sure. So what's interesting is I kind of view myself as a test case for this idea because my contributions have been pretty, you know, downstream, right? Like discussions about algorithms, like some of the most effective things that I thought that I contributed were actually just conversations about sort of the importance of say non GitHub based contributions. There were many conversations about that, I would say early in this year. And to the extent that I uniquely contributed something, I wouldn't necessarily say I have a claim on that. On the other hand, I think that those types of discussions as well as the algorithms R&D that is 
you know, one false step away from the implementation most of the time adds a lot of value. So maybe my perception on this is to wait our longer and kind of look back at it and sort of then ask questions um, after there's been uh, more time passed. I think for the time being, I mean, it seems very reasonable to me, um, but it's hard for me to say, and maybe this sort of goes back to the norms of the community. Like some communities may be more, you know, research centric versus development centric versus, you know, social um, sort of non-technical contribution centric. And part of the value of source grid to me is that um, it doesn't pre-prescribe those relative importances. So, you know, my best estimate is that it the value, the value that I added is captured in a way that this community has thus far valued research. Yeah, I, I think adding the the discourse plugin was really good because it can it's not perfect, but it can serve as sort of a catch-all to catch a lot of these conversations. Um, I don't know, Dandelion, did you did you have any thoughts about uh, this issue? I do have thoughts, and also just note that uh, Bino is is waving in the chat, so we can give him some space to talk to. Um, so. I think that right now Zargon is definitely in the category of contributor that are getting systematically like undervalued uh, because we still do have just much better ability to discover people who are who are contributing to the project through like legible digital means. Uh, so you know if you're doing a ton of work on GitHub or if you're making a lot of discourse posts, uh, that just is way easier for the algorithm to find you. Uh, now one of the things Bino is is actually championing is the creation of this initiatives plugin. Uh, which is the first time that we'll be able to really add manual nodes to the graph, where the manual nodes represent the sort of like big like categories of contribution that are, are really important to source cred. Um, and interestingly enough, there's the the even the idea of the discourse plugin of the initiatives plugin, sorry, has some cred edges to Zargum because Zargum kind of organized the Odyssey Hackathon team. And then our Odyssey Hackathon team focused a lot on like exploring this idea of the manual nodes and edges in the graph. Uh, so there's an extent to which once we have this plugin, we can create a node like, oh, the Odyssey Hackathon that like added some value to source cred that flows a bunch of cred to Z for organizing it. And then things, you know, the future work that we do. And then I also want to make an initiative for having uh, upgraded the cred to have timeline cred. And that, that would definitely flow cred to Zargon because he was really influential in coming up with the algorithm. Uh, so I think that as source cred improves, we're going to do a better job of recognizing a lot of these contributions that weren't first and foremost about writing discourse posts or writing GitHub pull requests. Definitely. I'm wondering, does Bino maybe want to jump in with some thoughts? Uh, yeah, hi. Um, I would like to add in a question that might be more related to uh, your expertise in the sense that um, I was thinking previously about how to do exactly what you were saying, like taking the values of the community and scaling that up using the PageRank algorithm. Um, one of the points that and that we were raising was how to mint cred. And at the moment, it's pretty naive. And I suggested something like um, kind of like a market for a particular type of contributions and having some sort of diminishing returns when too many people start focusing on the same issue. So if um, like the example from before, a lot of people uh, or a lot of incentive is created for uh, working on documentation. Um, how to prevent 
everyone jumping on the same thing because it's the most optimal way for them to earn cred. Um, some sort of diminishing returns or supply and demand system um, was what I had in mind. And later on, when I looked into complex systems, um, this sounded like some sort of negative feedback loop. And I was wondering what you feel about doing something like that to um, add a sort certain ratio of like we care about um, documentation, sure, but when documentation becomes 10x of what research is doing, then maybe we should start balancing it back out and to start um, adding the incentive back to into research and development and that sort of thing. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? So I, I, it's a good call on the, the, the negative feedback loop. I think what it's important to note is that if you contribute a fixed amount of cred and then you distribute it amongst the people who were contributing against documentation, you already have a negative feedback loop. And it may not be sufficient, but if the increased reward for documentation is we're going to allocate more absolute cred into, say, the keyword node for documentation that ties to things that have that keyword, for example, then if lots of people contribute, there's still only that much cred in the vector of page rank that is allocating to documentation contributors. So if we overwhelm it, it's just going to spread that, that cred relatively thinly. Um, that is not to say that it might not make sense to, uh, it's a double negative. It's not to say that we can't add um, a reducing sort of uh, a reducing function on how much more we reward things. So if we want to add, we want to bring out more documentation and we increase the total amount of cred for documentation, then we still want a little bit more documentation. So we add, you know, you know we always want more documentation. But the idea here is that first and foremost, we have a fixed supply of cred allocating to an increasing volume of cred tagged labor. We'll still reduce the cred per unit contribution. The second order thing is avoiding um, just ramping and ramping it up and maybe ramping it up at a decreasing rate if we're continuing to try to incentivize um, documentation in this example. The other point, which is maybe a uh, between contribution types, we can try to keep the overall contribution per contribution type roughly proportional to the total amount of sort of focus or the share of the effort that we want. Um, this would basically be like saying, okay, if I want research to documentation to be two to one, then the, the absolute cred per period for that keyword would be two to one. And we would try to grow them together to avoid a sort of rapid, you know, sort of massive shift of behavior between the two. That was a little rambly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, sounds sounds like uh, like pretty much what we are thinking about. Um, although um, about having a fixed amount of cred for this, um, we we ran into a similar issue when we were thinking about um, grain for the cred experiment was to um, 
at the, at at some point when you have a fixed amount of um reward to go around you you end up in this zero sum game where you might actually be incentivized to start gaming the system and try to uh you know spot that dandelion is going on a holiday and make sure that hey now in this this slow period um i might get really high incentives if i'm the only one making a contribution um so that's how we also ended up trying to uh, figure out like what is the total momentum of the community like are we doing a lot of work then the ceiling should also be raised in order to not you know um, be able to get massive rewards for being the only one in a quiet period versus doing a lot of work when everyone is also doing a lot of work in a zero-sum game so it's it's basically a fixed per period model so like in the example where dandelion goes on vacation there would be less throughput and therefore the fixed quantity is smaller so maybe the trick here is to differentiate between sort of fixed per period and changing over time so we have multiple time scales that we're dealing with in the individual calculation of page rank for say a week's worth of contributions there's a fixed pool of cred being injected and spread through the page rank algorithm. And that's a fixed pool per, um, you know, per seed vector or per cred injection point. Whereas in the case of over time, week over week, you would want that fixed total to vary. So it's, it's tricky because you're dealing with the, um, the dynamics of the game within the week versus the second order feedback of the dynamics week over week. And so in source code, we actually end up with the time scales of within the week, and then the sort of time scale from week to week varying the total cred. And then what I would imagine is a maybe multi-month or more time scale at which they might slowly change something like alpha as a way of, of tuning a sort of meta parameter to help meet the, so the values relative to how far things distribute down chain, like down the chain of events. And so I think the hardest part about this is still that we have to reason in you know, multiple spatial and temporal scales to get the hang of it, but I'd much rather have this small number of degrees of freedom to work with than the like very, very massive overall coordination problem, kind of going back to the, the social scalability of the coordination as Dandelion was discussing earlier. This makes it a lot easier to handle um, a big problem, but you still have to, you know, if you're flying an airplane, you know, pitch and yaw and, at, you know, you have you still have a couple of complicated interacting variables, but at least it's only a couple. So I'm curious to hear what Dandelion thinks as they are currently manually doing this and and will having will be having to shift into something more automatic. Yes, I think the first thing uh, is I, I very much don't think of it as there's a fixed amount of grain getting issued every week. Uh, I, if there were going to be something fixed, I would want something closer to there's a fixed relationship of how much grain gets created per unit cred. Uh, and so if let, let's imagine we've moved past right now, we just have this really naive, uh, heuristic where we kind of mint cred based on the amount of activity that happened, uh, which is only viable because nobody has come and decided to attack it by just posting like 500 discourse posts. 
but I, let, I want to shift it. I want to shift it to a model where the cred is more created, more tied to the value created rather than the activity generated. Uh, and so, if we imagine we're in this world, we might say, okay, if there's a week where you know I'm on vacation, people are kind of quiet, and there's only a hundred cred created, then maybe we'll only issue a hundred thousand grain. And then if the next week there's a thousand cred created, then that week we'll issue a million grain because we're just kind of distributing grain based on how much value is added. Uh, and since I, I read uh, Danella Meadows Thinking in Systems uh, a few weeks ago, finally, and it's my 2019 book of the year, it's just completely like permeated the way that I think about the world. Uh, and so I'm really thinking what, what kind of regulatory feedback mechanisms can we develop that do a good job of choosing how much grain to make per unit cred in a way that doesn't just inflate the grain. And then also a feedback system that determines how we create new cred and how we value new cred in a way that doesn't just inflate the cred. Uh, because left to its own devices, everyone will always be pushing to have more cred for their contributions and more grain for their cred. And the system just kind of runs away and inflates out of mean, out of being meaningful. Uh, and so I have this general idea that there will be a check and a balance between the two distinct populations that are emerging in source cred, which is the population of contributors who are earning cred and the population of past contributors and maybe like, uh, like supporters or sponsors. Uh, who are holding on to grain. And so maybe we could have something where like the cred holders are collectively getting to decide what the grain issuance policy is somehow or, or getting an influence on that. And then the grain holders are collectively getting to decide how much new cred is getting created. And so the two two groups would each be kind of holding the knob that dials the other group's rewards and they would need to collaborate to find a set of settings that are like mutually beneficial and causing the project to increase in value rather than each group just trying to shift its own dial to get itself as much reward as possible. I really like that framing. I don't know if you know this, but I've like basically made everyone on my team read that book. Thinking in Systems by Danella Meadows is, is something that I use as sort of table stakes. But um, I like the framing because it's a, it's a good way to kind of put these feedback loops into place. I will say that the language around fixed amounts is more of a starting point because we were discussing it from the, the framework of understanding the dynamics and in this level one trusted environment, it seemed like the natural starting place, but I, I totally agree with like getting a sort of measure of, of what even progress means to you and then starting to adapt to it. Um, but I am also, I think this is the challenge with words when equations are necessary. There's a difference between fixed and in a single instance, like once you picked it, it's fixed from the perspective of that time and it's distributed according to the cred you know, direction, the vector. And then the next time you may have a different assessment of progress and you may have a different thing, essentially a, a different amount that you distribute according to that vector. So the term fixed is sort of bottled up into, you know, the, posterior of your computation of how much to distribute, which probably wasn't the clearest way to describe it um, in retrospect. I, I have to say, I, I just like this idea right off the bat uh, because it seems to smartly acknowledge the natural tension between labor and capital, which I think is a big part of the problem that SourceCred is, is trying to solve. And you know, soon enough, I think we'll be at that next stage where we have to deal with that.
Yeah, I think one of my uh, foundational goals with SourceCred is to create a framework that has a different distribution of power between labor and capital. Uh, and the current system kind of gives all of the ultimate authority to capital. And, you know, somebody with a lot of capital can like buy out a business and then, you know, maybe choose to like fire every single person and just strip it for for parts if that's what they wanted to do, if they thought that would give them a return on capital. Uh, and I'm deliberately putting uh, labor and capital on like, like either co-equal bases of power in source cred or perhaps giving an edge to labor over capital, because I think that there's a sense in which the the value is fundamentally being created by people working together on things and capital enables that, but the system should not exist so that capital can extract as much as possible. Well, and if the system's not working that well, not much capital will flow into it, I suppose. I would like to at least give one more comment. I'm also a big fan of the notion of really working on the relationship between labor and capital. Um, in the systems thinking sense, I've found, uh, and also in sort of Meadows' other work, a little more technical, there's these notions of you know, the stock and flow diagrams and understanding the accumulators versus the flowing things. And the flow here, labor is essentially a flow and the integral or the sum over time of that labor is a sort of created capital. And I don't just mean in the financial sense, I mean in the sort of byproduct of the labor. And there's a lot that one can start to unpack when we're building algorithms that are measuring, managing, and deciding much more granular things. And I think there's a lot of room for us to both learn to, um, to understand, learn, to, to learn about and to understand how to make systems that put um, capital and labor on a more even playing field. And that's actually a big motivation of the research in the common stack project where I'm one of the sort of you know, driving researchers is probably the best way to put it. Um, and I've, you know, there's a lot of ongoing work in the overlap between the social and the technical, very much for the purpose of understanding how to put um, labor and capital on more even terms. That's great. Like as, as, a, uh, as a labor paying rent, I'm, I'm happy to hear. As we uh, exit the level one where we all trust each other and go into a more adversarial environment, we are going to see gaming vectors here, uh, especially if more money starts flowing into source cred. I'm wondering, uh, Michael, what do you think is the biggest danger there? What's the biggest attack vector you see in source cred? To be honest with you, I, it's a little bit funny, but as long as we're still having Dandelion as a benevolent dictator, the single biggest attack vector is actually attacking them on the grounds that they're not being fair, which would fundamentally break down the project. And I don't mean this from the exploit to take money out perspective, but rather from a do damage to the project and the community as a whole, because if someone were to essentially, you know, maybe spam a bunch of posts or do a bunch of bike shedding or just do a general non-contributing contribution pool, whatever it is, and then turn around and take the sort of assessment that it wasn't valuable and complain and publicly argue and say, no, 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 you're not being fair. That like, that would be from my perspective, the most egregious thing that someone could attempt to do to source credit as it is today. Interesting, so just a social layer attack. Uh, Dandelion, do you have, do, do you have thoughts on that? Uh, 
A, I think that's really insightful uh, because indeed almost all of the other attacks people could do terminate at and then I tell them that they're doing an attack and therefore they're not going to like get grain distribution or I'm going to like, you know, pause. <laughs> I'm going to like not blacklist their payments until I've merged the fixes to the algorithms that devalue their spam, like whatever it may be. Uh, and so I think that uh, Z is, is really correct that the kind of regulatory process for stopping attacks is robust against most attacks. So the attacks that would be successful would be the attacks that directly attack the regulatory process. Um, I think that this is so, so as we've been building source cred, uh, I would say that there have been a lot of, uh, again, you know, channeling Danella Meadows, like there are a lot of potential positive feedback loops that will cause a lot more energy and attention to flow into the project. And there are a lot of the regulating feedback loops that will cause that attention and energy to get better directed within the project. Uh, and I've been deliberately holding off on a lot of the things that would actually grow the project fastest. Uh, so not just the stuff that would would kind of put us in a very complicated like regulatory standpoint, like, you know, turning source code into some kind of speculative bonanza, which I really don't want to do. Uh, but even more, quote unquote, benign stuff like we could have some kind of cred referral bonus where if you like recruit other people into source cred, you get some share of their future cred or something like that. And, and that, those kinds of uh, positive feedback cycles could bring a lot more people into the project. Uh, but I've wanted to hold off on that until we had the kind of community, uh, like tissue and like strong, like sense of community that would allow us to metabolize that new energy well. Um, and I think that from my perspective with the attack Zargum described, I'm not super worried about it because the project has people like you, Seth, people like Zargum, people like Barada and Bino and William who can kind of act as a uh, people who are trusted within the community and are like confident, like expressing their voices and also not me and therefore less likely to be, uh, you know, corrupted by me somehow. Uh, and, and so I think that if this person were to come and like, you know, bike shed a ton and then start raising, making a bunch of noise about how unfairly they're being treated. Uh, I think that a lot of the other people on this call who do have legibility source cred could show up and on that thread and be like, no, 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 like we see what's happening here. Like, sorry, you're like 400 page magnum opus on like what color the, the source cred landing page should be did not actually warrant that much cred. So we're, we're standing behind Dandelion and like moving on on this point. And I think that would mitigate that attack very effectively. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, like, I, I'm not really worried about it at this point. It, it, seem, it feels very safe where we're at right now, but definitely something to keep in mind. Um, so, like, other than attack vectors, um, you know, what do you think the biggest challenges are? Um, sure. So I think what's going to be particularly challenging is actually this process of change. Um, by going from level one to two to three, I think it's actually very important that this is taken slowly. There was a really great sort of buzz line that came out of the Odyssey Hackathon, which was growing, not scaling. And I still really like really like that, um, use it in other places too sometimes, where this organic growth is actually safer and healthier and less likely to cause um, us to sort of basically fail by growing too fast or fail by growing in a way that's unhealthy. Um, the challenge here though is this is not a very well-worn path and there's so much um, sort of heuristics and tools and ways of thinking about how to be um, sort of going through a growth hacking scaling like, hey, get everybody's attention, hey, get more money, you know, very, uh, very feed forward driven 
um, dialogue about startups and projects, et cetera, that to walk the sort of, you know, the, the less traveled road is to say, no, actually, look, we have a strong community. We're going to grow it organically. We're going to try to recruit more people in. And as we go into a scale where there's a little bit more adversarial behavior, it's a little harder to detect things without, um, you know, combing through step by step. We're going to need to start to, um, you know, we're going to lose some of the resilience that we had from the example before, right? We have this right now, pretty much any attack is backed up cleanly by this regulatory process of dandelion at phase two, that process is actually going to get a little less good at its job. There's going to be a little bit more openness to attack vectors. And we need to like ride this transition where maybe more people are stepping up into roles that are likely to identify things, or we have to basically evolve the community in going from level one to two, and in fact, prepare for two to three. Because I think level two to level three is where things are dangerous. That's like, you know, leaving port and hoping your ship is safe for uh, the open seas. So um, anyway, sorry, that's kind of rambly too. But it's this a change, this community adaptation from one to two, and then especially from two to three, that I think we've got to be thinking about planning for as a community, not just as a technology. Yeah, well, well, having worked for a couple of VC-backed startups that crashed and burned and left me pretty, pretty, pretty um, kind of disillusioned with that, it's good to hear. Uh, what Dandelion, what do you think about that? Well, you know, source credit has so uh, little precedent in terms of other entities trying to do the same thing. You know, if, if, if source credit were a startup and we had like, you know, raised a bunch of VC money and we needed to like get enough eyeballs on the thing that we could then like get acquired or sold or monetized through advertisement or something like this. Uh, it would be a little bit easier to prognosticate on what might go wrong and, you know, you can kind of figure it out. And it's interesting because on the one hand, a lot of the ways open source projects don't fail in the ways that startups fail because to a first order approximation, they, they don't need money to survive. They just need attention. And it's easier for you to run out of money all at once and it's harder to run out of attention all at once. Uh, but at the same time, like we don't really have a template for what what the path to success is going to look like. Uh, so I kind of think of, I've been thinking about this question because you asked this to me two weeks ago or three weeks ago on the last uh, podcast, four weeks ago actually. Uh, and I've been thinking about it more and more since. And I've been thinking, okay, source cred is actually at the intersection of a lot of different assumptions that are getting made. Uh, a lot of different ideas. Uh, one is that we want parameterized social systems. So having social systems that are actually implemented in software where you can have a bunch of parameters that are changing things like how much weight do we put on different kinds of labor? Uh, you know, how, how are we going to like self-regulate the system? How, on what timeframes are we going to pay people out? And I think this is going to be a winning idea. Uh, just because we've seen across a lot of domains that if you can take things that were previously like hard coded into hardware or into like very hard to change sets of relationships and expectations and change it into a fastly iterating software system where you can tune the parameters, you get better results. Um, so I think source cred, uh, I think that the parameterized social system aspect is going to be a winner, but it doesn't mean that source cred will win. It could just mean something else figures out how to do this. Uh, I think on the other hand, you have this idea that we can use like graph-based algorithms and like in particular modified page rank as a way of distributing value within a project. 
which doesn't need to be open source at all. And like I've had a number of people talk to me about how they think this is a good idea to just run inside of companies. Um, and I think graphs have been one of those like really big winners also, just in a broader sense that as we've developed uh, information processing technology, things that are built around graphs have been phenomenally disproportionately useful. Whether you think about like Google or Facebook or Twitter, uh, a lot of the really big technological successes in the past two decades have been basically applying graph-based algorithms to new problem domains. Uh, I think that the part that is the part that I actually care about the most is also the least assured, which is source cred as an alternative like social system. Source cred is an alternative way of creating and coordinating like power relationships. Uh, and this is where we get the fact that SourceGrid is an open source project and not a corporate startup where SourceGrid is trying to like empower people to be able to work more on their own and with their communities and not for someone else and for the creation of value for someone else. Uh, and I think more so than having a technology that's like, you know, we did this cool graphical uh, parameterized social system and it like took over the world because it was able to like get, you know, people to coordinate more effectively. Like that's, that's really, uh, that's cool. But for me, what would make it really successful is whether it succeeded in like deploying some different values than the values that are currently like dominating the, the broader systems in the world. Uh, and I think that's the one where there's the least precedent for it working and we can't look as clearly and say, oh yeah, this is kind of like, you know, Uber for cat food. So therefore we like can anticipate whether or not it will succeed. I think we really just need to like kind of play it out and like work at it and see what, see what we can do. Uh, new as what we're doing is, have you drawn any inspiration from things that are working uh, like other open source projects that are, have been able to monetize and whatnot? Yes. Yes. I've drawn a great deal. I've drawn a great deal of inspiration from the U S constitution. Uh, I think it's, I, I think there's a lot of like similarity in that, like, if you read, like, <clears throat> I, I kind of have a Hamilton fixation, which was definitely spawned by the Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, soundtrack. I've never seen the play, but I've listened to the soundtrack hundreds of times, uh, but has now just progressed into being really fascinated with Hamilton. And if you read some of the Federalist papers, he writes things like basically like, wow, we have these these political systems that are based on this idea of absolute monarchy. And we built them at a time when we really didn't know nearly as much about political science and about like how, how the world operates as we do now. And so the time is ripe to build new political systems that will actually be like more moral and more representative and do a better job of like running countries. Uh, and I think we're in a similar state now where like we are using the best political systems that we could build with 18th century technology and 18th century game theory and 18th century understanding of, of social systems and complex systems. And they're starting to fail us. And so I think that there's this is this is what I think is really exciting about the Web3 movement in general. And this applies to, you know, projects like Common Stack, which Zargon is working on and projects like Aragon, uh, is that you have got a lot of idealistic people who think that we can do a better job of building tools that like enable us to, to realize our shared values by leveraging the new technologies we have. And it can be more than just like, you know, enabling megacorps to add target us really efficiently. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that in a certain sense, the United States was the ultimate startup. I, I have actually been thinking along similar lines. I, I think that we're undergoing a revolution and most people just don't realize it yet, but that's, that's my own kind of thinking. Uh, Michael, what is the most exciting aspect of source cred for you right now? Oh, by far the most exciting aspect is 
the sort of convergence of people around the system. I think the vast majority of projects I've seen are projects sort of wanting for people's attention. And although it's not a huge group of people yet, the the way in which SourceCore draws in people's attention, I find incredibly impressive because that's the engine, the resource that really drives. And honestly, these days, so easy to have your attention drawn off in a million different directions and not actually accumulate into anything. But I look at the way that source cred has like attracted high quality attention and turned it into real working things. The cred experiment is running, people are dog fooding this, they're responding to the incentives, they're having discussions about how they feel about it. For me, that that tangible like capture and mobilization of intention of attention is very impressive. Definitely. Yeah, I know I know when I found SourceCred, I got sucked into it sort of against my will. <laughs> I I didn't have time to work on it at all, but I felt like making these long rambling discourse posts about it nonetheless and that sort of just pulled me in. Um so uh last question, uh where where do you hope to see the project in 6 months from now? I would like to see the project comfortably sailing at level two with a community that's large enough that you don't necessarily know everybody, but that you more or less trust everyone by virtue of their contributions and that they're still at a level where it's easy enough to validate any particular person by looking at what they've contributed, but that you're a little bit past the point where you, unless you're Dandelion maybe, you could really draw to mind exactly who everyone is. So looks like we're out of time here, but if anyone out there wants to get involved with SourceCred or just check it out, head over to sourcecred.io. There you'll find the forums, chat, GitHub, Twitter, all that good stuff. And we'll see you again next time.